Both the quarterback and offensive line need to step up, but right now, the Falcons' offensive line has been its biggest disappointment this season. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, everyone, to another illustrious episode of the Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And if you don't know me, I'm your very humble host, Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcons.com, RIP, still going strong on this illustrious podcast. You may also know me as Mr. Drew. You may also know me as Sirius Black, Mr. Holier Than Thou. And we thank each and every one of you that is an everydayer of this podcast that makes this illustrious podcast your first listen. And all you got to do to follow in the footsteps of the everydayers is subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So today's episode is the all 22 review. We'll talk about the Falcons offensive line performance, the quarterback. We'll talk about the play calling and why I don't have as many questions about that. We'll talk about the sort of new look defense and if the pressure is there for the Falcons, but we'll start off today's episode talking about the news of the day, which is that the Falcons officially placed linebacker Troy Anderson on IR today, and he's presumably done for the season and to fill his roster spot the Falcons signed offensive tackle Storm Norton off the Saints practice squad. If you don't know Norton, he did start one season at right tackle for the Chargers as an injury replacement back in 2021. He performed very poorly that year. He ranked 84th out of 88 tackles, according to PFF, in pass protection that year. So, you know, I don't think he's really moving the needle forward for the Falcons. The Falcons are still down bad at that swing tackle position. And when we signed Isaiah Prince a couple of weeks ago, I told you, I, I'm not convinced that Isaiah Prince is going to last particularly long for the rest of the season uh, in solving that problem. And, you know, we saw Tyler Rabel get activated off the practice squad to be the swing tackle against the Lions last week. Now they're signing Storm Norton. So it does feel like, you know, they're we're moving in that direction of moving off uh, Isaiah Prince. So hopefully, hopefully this is the last time you hear uh, Isaiah Prince and Tyler Rabel and Storm Norton's names mentioned on this podcast, because that means Jake Matthews stayed healthy. And, you know, I know Caleb McGarry, you know, has gotten a lot of flack for his poor performances these first three weeks, deservedly so. I, I just want to remind you guys that I did want to move off McGarry Island this offseason, but, you know, we had to go back, right? But, you know, in terms of Prince and Norton, you know, I don't know if they're better. They found that, like, the two guys that have started games in the NFL that have been demonstrably worse than Caleb McGarry the last couple of years. So, uh, you know, I got to start watching tackles on Saturdays because it seems like we're headed to – using that day two pick on an offensive tackle. We should have done it last year, but, you know, it is what it is. So that's not the last time we, we talk about the offensive line on today's episode. So let's get into that all 22 review and let's talk a little bit about expectations. I know. Right. And I think a lot of people's frustration over this Lions game boils down to expectations not being met. And I remember saying this to someone on Twitter on Monday night, which is I think if you were to boil this loss down to one thing, right, that after that Jesse Bates interception, you know, the Falcons had a chance to cut the lead to 13 to 10, and they needed a quarterback to make two throws on third and fourth down of that subsequent drive to Drake London and Desmond Ritter didn't make the throws. And, you know, that's frustrating to a lot of folks. I'm not particularly angered or frustrated by that because, again, my expectations were not as high on Desmond Ritter going into the season. That's part of the reason why, again, I predicted the Falcons to start the season one and three. Like I figured it would take some time for him to get going. 
I didn't have these expectations that the Falcons offense would be the super high powered attack, right. And be this top unit. You know, I thought their ceiling as an offense would be maybe the 13th best offense in the NFL. If they checked certain boxes, right. They had an elite running game. They coupled that with a very efficient third down offense, top 10, there, efficient red zone offense, top 10, there, and a healthy sprinkling of explosive plays. You check those four boxes. This offense has the potential to reach its ceiling, which is probably an above average unit. Right. And then you couple that with a defense that just, you know, does its job to get stops and, you know, can get, you know, not forcing that to play from behind and all that stuff. Right. And just be an average unit, you know, figure they'd be like 18th or 20th best defense in the league. And that would be their formula to check those five boxes to be a playoff team this season. And, you know, you look at the those five boxes, the defense is performing about on par their 20th in dvoa i know they're better in some of the more volume stats but you know i think dvoa is a better reflection of, of defensive quality um you know i wish they could be a little bit more explosive but you know frankly if they probably hit that deep shot to kyle pitts against the lions we're probably not talking about this offense not being explosive enough right they're they're roughly league average and that, that would put them uh right on pace with some of the other teams in the middle of the pack this year that one play and while the run game did take a major step back last week, I'm not super worried about that unit. You know, as I mentioned the other day, like maybe I'm not as confident that they're going to be the elite dominant unit, but I still expect them to be a very good unit. So it really kind of boils down to the third down and red zone boxes aren't really getting checked right now. The Falcons are 27th and third down offense, 19th and red zone efficiency. So they got to get better there. Right. And some of that is on the quarterback, right. You know, um, talking about the red zone stuff, like last year, Ritter has not been great when he's been asked to throw the ball into the end zone in the red zone, right? Even if you count that Mac Hollins touchdown as a catch, which it didn't count, but we'll pretend it was a catch. He'd only be two of five completing passes on throws into the red zone, into the end zone this year. Um, and we talked last week about Arthur Smith's play calling in the red zone being very iffy in the Packers game. We'll, we'll talk more about that later. Um, so quarterbacks got to get better. Play calling's got to get better in the red zone. That should hopefully fix that issue. Third downs, Ritter hasn't been great, but when I started going deeper into the stats, it felt like it was less of a third down issue and more of an early down issue, right? That when you look at Ritter's EPA per play, expected points added on late downs, third and fourth downs, last year he was 11th out of 46 quarterbacks uh, in the league, right? Which was significantly improved from what Marcus Mariota was, which was 38th out of 46. Uh, and Ritter isn't quite as good this year. He's about 18th out of 34. So he's roughly average, right? Now, one of the things I noticed when I started doing more research was if you go and only look at third and seven or less, so seven or less yards to go on third down, the Falcons third down efficiency in terms of converting those into first downs would be fifth best on passes, just on passes, right? So when Ritter's had to throw the ball on third and seven or less, he's been able to move the chains in those situations. So clearly to me, that means that probably the issue is the Falcons are getting into too many third and longs, eight or more, right? And when I looked at how many, the percentage of plays of their third downs that are third and eight or more third and longs, they're ninth highest in the NFL. So too many of those instances, right? So it kind of boils down to a lot of early down struggles. Now Ritter on early downs has not been particularly effective this year. His EPA per play on first and second down is ranks 32nd out of 34 quarterbacks. So he's a bottom three quarterback. Now, I think some of that is owed to sacks being counted as, as part of EPA, but I'm not 100% sold on that, depending on what website you go to. Uh, it might factor in differently, but clearly Ritter needs to get better on those early downs. But what stands out is the Falcons gave up, have given up nine sacks on first and second down 
this year on 69 dropbacks. Not nice, right? That's the highest sack rate in the NFL. That's two and a half times higher than the league average in those instances. And six out of those nine sacks came against the line. So we have another root cause of what derailed the Falcons against the line. They had far too many breakdowns, especially on early downs against the Lions that put them in third and unmanageables for their young quarterback. And so I know, you know, everybody gets into the civil war, blaming the quarterback, blaming the offensive line, blaming whatever, right. Wanting to point one finger at it, but quarterback needs to play better. But at the same time, right. The offensive line needs to play better. Now, Offensive line isn't to blame for Ritter missing those throws at the beginning of the fourth quarter, right? But I don't think you can expect your young, still developing quarterback to thrive in an environment where there's so many negative plays on early downs where he's stuck having to bail the team out on third and 10 or third and 14. Now, to Ritter's credit, he made a big time throw in the fourth quarter to Mac Hollins on third and 14. That was a great throw, probably the best throw he had of the game. But I don't want Desmond Ritter to have to do that every single week, right? If we had Justin Herbert, if we had Patrick Mahomes, I would expect that out of those guys. I'm not expecting that out of Desmond Ritter. Now, maybe there's a future. And again, those flashes that we saw in weeks one and two, and and then on that one play against the Lions in the fourth quarter, like that gives us hope that, okay, with time, with development, he can be more consistently able to do those things, but he shouldn't be asked to do those things at this point in his career. So the rest of this team needs to step up and do better by Desmond Ritter, just like he also needs to step up and make the throws when they're there, right? And I think especially the offensive line needs to step up. Now, we spent the last year, you know, talking about the incredible job that Dwayne Ledford has done, you know, and I have this whole stockpile of Dwayne Ledford stock. But now I'm sitting here going like, do I have to start selling my Dwayne Ledford stock, right? And, you know, I recall going into the season, you know, getting in some arguments with people on Twitter about, you know, the differences between the Falcons offensive line and the Panthers offensive line. Now, the Panthers offensive line has been pretty bad, abysmal this year. But has the Falcons offensive line been really any better? Right. I know those people, at least that were arguing with me, were insisting that the Falcons had a top five, top 10 type of offensive line. Have you seen that type of unit this year? Right. So when I talk about expectations, I sit here and I go, like, did you have expectations that Deadman Ritter was going to be a top 10 quarterback? I didn't. I don't think many of you guys did. So the fact that Desmond Ritter hasn't looked like one of those guys isn't a huge disappointment to me. Now, did you have expectations that the Fox would have a top 10 offensive line? I think a lot of us did. And so when I ask you, what's a bigger disappointment, the quarterback or the offensive line, it's clearly, to me, the offensive line. So we'll uh, leave that conversation there. We'll continue today's episode talking about why I did not have as many issues with the game plan. We'll go through the first, you know, 18 plays of the game and talk about why to me, the game plan and the play calling was a non, or to, at least to me, a non-issue against the Detroit Lions. And we'll continue that on today's Locked on Falcons. So our partners at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked on Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each and every week, all season long. And whether you're prepping for a daily draft or scouring the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you with players that are guaranteed fit to fit your roster. So with draft prep underway, let's see who Vinny has picked us picked out for us for this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. And, you know, much to my chagrin, Vinny has Calvin Ridley, Jaguars wide receiver, who's due for a classic rebound and revenge opportunity in London in week four against his former team, the Atlanta Falcons, right? And Ridley's been pretty quiet since week one, right? You know, their passing game, Jacksonville's that is, has slumped the last two weeks. And maybe he gets back to returning to form now that he's a little bit more motivated uh, this week against the Falcons. And we'll see if the Jaguars do a better job scheming him open across the pond uh, and make him 
that massive target volume for Trevor Lawrence to count big time again. Now that Vinny Iyer of Locked On Fantasy Football has helped us win our fantasy championships, eBay Motors knows that a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. And the same is true with your vehicle. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Whether it's air filters, brakes, batteries, taillights, alternator shock struts, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guarantee Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the very first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash, baby. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. eBay Guarantee Fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. So, you know, looking at some of the comments on, on the videos over the last couple of days and some of the feedback I got from some of you guys, you know, a lot of you guys thought the game plan and the play calling was very questionable. Now, as I've said over the last couple of days, I didn't have major issues with that and watching the film didn't really have issues with it. So um, we'll talk about why I didn't, right? You know, I had much bigger issues with Arthur Smith's play calling last week against the Packers, right? We talked about some of the questionable red zone calls in that game. And while I didn't mission it in that episode, because at the time I felt like it was kind of nitpicky, you know, I didn't love the fact that they called the same exact play on the fourth and one at the end of the game that they called earlier in the game on the fourth and one, right? You know, like the main reason you converted that the second time was because blue magic, like green Bay saw it coming. And like that to me is bad process, favorable, good result. You know, that's kind of how I felt about it. But when it comes to the criticism of play calling, I, I think a lot of it stems from, you know, I think play calling often is an easy scapegoat for why a play didn't work. Right. It's the play caller messed up. Right. Because, you know, any given play is based off of 22 different variables, the 22 players, you know, doing or not doing their jobs. But it's a lot easier to focus on the one variable, the play caller, than it is those 22 individual variables that affect the outcome of the play. I think the other reason why play calling gets a lot more grief than it deserves is I think the heightened emotions of game day, you know, prompt people to overreact in the moment. And I fall into this trap myself from time to time is why I constantly tell you, you know, I'm going to reserve judgment until I watch the film. Right. But 99 percent of fans don't rewatch the games. Right. And so they never get that sort of reset. Right. And so the emotions of game day kind of linger for days, weeks, months, and, and sometimes years, right? That's why you got to go to therapy. But, you know, I, I think when I look at it, I think it tends to be overrated because, you know, in a, any given game, you're going to have roughly 60 or so plays. And even if you're like five of them were bad play calls, if you had a 65 question quiz and you missed five of them, you'd still get an A on that quiz. And so I, I tend to think that play calling gets a lot more grief than it deserves. But let's go to the first 15 and 20 plays that's illustrate why I didn't have a problem with it and why the first 15 to 20 plays, because those are the scripted plays, right? That's the plays that typically the play caller has a little bit more control after that point. It's really about adjustments and the score and situation uh, indicates the play. And I'm sure some of you are like, well, they failed to make adjustments. Again, I, I think most of the Falcons problems were poor execution. So it wasn't that they failed to adjust. They just, their adjustments didn't work. Just like the things that they planned to do going into the game didn't work. But let's look at the first 18 plays of the game. The first play was a screen to B. John Robinson. Right. And uh, why have the Falcons called screens on the first plays of each of the last two weeks? Because they know their quarterback tends to start slow and they're trying to get him into a rhythm. So no problem with that play caller. Second play, they call a rollout. Aiden Hutchinson tips that pass as Ritter tries to throw it to Mac Hollins over the middle. But you watch the film and you're like, Drake London's wide open in the flat and Ritter doesn't throw the ball. So I don't have a problem with that play call. It's just quarterback didn't execute it. The third down, you run a pass to Algier in the flat. I could nitpick us and say, like, maybe. You run that to Bijan, he makes it. 
But like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh my God, terrible play call to run a play to Tyler Argent, right? It's not like we're running plays for Carlos Washington over B. John Robinson. We're running it to Tyler Argent. No offense, Carlos Washington, but you guys get what I'm saying. So that's the first series, three and out. Second series starts, they run the ball to Tyler Argent. Again, same thing. Not going to sit here and gripe about Tyler Argent getting carries, right? Even if I would prefer B. John to get them. Then you run a deep shot to Kyle Pitts, right? I'm not going to gripe about the Falcons taking a shot play. Ritter just missed the throw. And I had another listener that asked me, you know, was that a Ritter miss? Was that Pitts pulling up? I count that as a Ritter miss. I know we saw the replay of Pitts kind of hobbling on, on that play. And, you know, I'm not going to read too much into that. I know other people are questioning Pitts' effort and his motivation and his commitment and all that stuff. And I, again, I think that's the heightened emotions of game day, getting people to overreact to, to certain things. So we're five plays in. and. My biggest gripes are, you know, maybe you run a few more plays to Bijan instead of Algier, and the two incompletions are really on the quarterback, not really the play call. So Ritter redeems himself on the next play by hitting Drake London on that 28-yard play on third down. Then you have a first down, and you have a design quarterback read option to, to Desmond Ritter. And again, he pulls the ball out of Bijan's hands. Again, personally, I would just hand the ball off to Bijan, but at the same time, we talked last week about how the quarterback run game was so instrumental in Ritter, you know, figuring it out. And, and getting into rhythm late in the game. And, you know, I don't begrudge Arthur Smith for saying like, hey, let's get the Lions something else to think about with the quarterback running game. He gets two yards, so they kind of scrap it from that point on, right? Then play eight, nine, second down sack, third down sack, offensive line, right? Then you get to the third series, 10, play 10. Now you start with the Bijan run, you get 11 yards and everybody's like, oh my God, this is what we should have been doing from the jump. Then you run again to Bijan, you only get two yards on first down. Then you go uh, pass on second and long, you hit pits on the slant, not complaining about that. Um, another first down run to Bijan. You lose two yards thanks to Brian Branch. Another pass to Pitt over the middle on the second and long. And then you run a play action and you hit Johnny Smith on the throwback. Now your quarterback is starting to get in a rhythm. He's hit a couple of throws in a row. He seems like he's he's in the money. So you go back to running the football to Algier. He loses his yard there. Then you try to dial up a easy completion on second and long uh, screen to Johnny Smith. You lose three yards there. And then on third and 14, Brian Branch breaks up the uh, pass to Drake London on the slant, and now you kick the long field goal. So, again, I could sit here and nitpick. Maybe Bijan gets a few more touches a little bit earlier, but clearly the overriding plan, as at least as I see it, was trying to work to get Ritter into a rhythm. He missed a couple of throws, but eventually he started to get going, and then you tried to establish the run, and all of a sudden it derailed the offense. So I don't get where the bad game plan, bad play calling is, right? I feel like that's nitpicking. I feel like that's overreacting in the moment. But, hey, if you have differing opinions, leave us a comment. Tell me specifically what calls you had a problem with. I'm more than happy to respond to you guys in that one. But for me, that's just me explaining why I don't think play calling was an issue against the Lions, right? Now, I'm not going to certainly paint this broad brush and, and tell you um, that Arthur Smith's play calling has been brilliant this year. But in this game specifically, I don't think it was an issue. Now, most of my issues with Arthur Smith from a play calling standpoint are more philosophical than the specific play calls, right? My my issues, my philosophical issues are like, Arthur Smith, why are you allergic to speed, right? That's a philosophical issue. But in terms of how he applies his specific flavor of offense, which we talked about on yesterday's episode, you know, no major issues with that. So there may be games in the future where I'm going to have specific issues with Arthur Smith's play calling, but not this week. So that's going to leave the play calling issue aside. And we'll wrap up today's episode talking about the Falcons defense, the ability to get pressure and the unveiling of the dime defense and whether or not Troy Anderson's injury is going to derail that plan moving forward. And we'll get into all that as we wrap up today's Locked on Falcons. 
Now, I want to tell you guys about Jace Medical, who provides the Jace case, which includes five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. And why do you need to stock up on antibiotics? Well, we live in a hectic world, guys, right? You never know when the next supply chain shortages or natural disasters or pandemics going to hit. And you don't want to get stuck without access to life-saving medi medications. So it doesn't hurt to be more prepared now than ever. And I deal with sinus infections, ear infections. So having that Jace case, the getting access to those antibiotics is great and easy and simple for me. You just got to fill out a simple online form. You get those potential life-saving medica medications sent right to your door. And everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. And you can save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical. Plus, you get an additional $20 off by using the code LOCKEDON at checkout at jacemedical.com. It's J-A-S-E medical.com, promo code locked on. So after the game, we talked about how the pass rush took a step forward this week. Um, and they certainly had their moments, particularly the latter half of the second quarter, the latter half of the third quarter, we saw the pass rush get after the quarterback, but overall, you know, when charting the defense, um, you know, it was a pretty meh game for the Falcons pass rush, right? I charted the Falcons getting pressure on 12 of Jared Goff's 34 dropbacks. That's a 35% pressure rate, which is right at the acceptable level that you've heard me time and time again, mention that 35% rate. Um, but, you know, the Falcons try to rely heavily on their four-man rush for much of this part of this game, and it wasn't that effective, right? I charted seven blitzes in this game. PFF had eight, um, and the Lions picked that apart. I know PFF graded Jared Goff like with a 90 passing grade against the Falcons blitz. I charted a 71% success rate against those blitz, so that's an extremely high success rate. Um, now, when the Falcons weren't blitzing, they weren't getting that much pressure, right? When I take out the blitzes, their pressure rate, when just rushing forward drops to 30%, which is that unacceptable number. Now, the other thing notable charting the game was the Falcons play a lot more zone in this game. I charted 59% zone in this game after the first two games where the Falcons were in 64% man coverage. Now, they basically scrapped the man coverage at halftime, right? And my best guess to why is basically Amon Ross St. Brown was, was kind of killing them in man coverage. Like five out of his six targets in the first half were against man coverage. He caught all five of those. The Falcons really didn't have anybody that can cover him. Few teams do. For those that don't know, I'm on Rice A. Brown, you know, looking at PFF's yards per route run metric, which I think is probably the most definitive wide receiver stat out there. You know, he was tied with Cooper Cup and Stephon Diggs in the top seven last year in that metric uh, in 2022. And there was a play in the second quarter where the Falcons tried to put A.J. Terrell on him in the slot. And Amon Ross beat him pretty easily. And that was basically, that was our best punch. We put our best player on him. He, we, we couldn't stop him. So in the second half, they basically scrapped the zone and he continued to feast in the second half as well. So, you know, I think until the Falcons can get more reliable pressure without having to rely on the blitz, you know, it's going to lead to this defense not being able to reach their true ceiling, right? In terms of being a, they can be a competent defense. They reach a level of competency, but until they can, get consistent and reliable pressure. I don't know if we can call this a good defense, right? Now, the good thing about this defense is they continue to get stops in the red zone. They're currently tied for 11th in the NFL there, right? They create turnovers at a, a capable rate, right? They're 16th in the NFL there in terms of uh, turnovers. And they've been pretty good on third downs this year, right? They're 10th in the NFL currently in third downs allowed this year. And they unveiled an interesting look this week on third downs, they unveiled their, you know, one aspect of their dime defense, which was their Ruby package. Now, this, uh, they, they've used it sporadically in the first two games, but they really went hard on it in this Lions game, right? And the Ruby 
and it's also referred to as dollar uh, dime defense is the three, two, six, right? All dime is six defensive backs, but you know, typical, your classic dime is four down linemen, one linebacker, and the Falcons have three down linemen and two linebackers. Now I'm going to refer to it as Ruby just because, and I know other people refer to it as dollar, but a couple of years ago, the Packers had a uh, defense that had seven defensive backs and they called it dollar. And so that was kind of my first introduction to dollar. So I kind of reserved dollar for that type of defense. Right. And so I'm just going to call it Ruby, Ruby, but eventually, you know, we just might call it dime because that's the du jour flavor of dime defense that the Falcons uh, use. And we don't necessarily have to distinguish it between dime, but specifically we'll call it the Ruby defense. And then that's why you saw an uptick in snaps for Jalen Hawkins this week because they were consistently using their Ruby defense on third downs, right? On eight of the 10 third downs that the Lions threw the ball, the Falcons were in their Ruby defense. The two exceptions were in the red zone. And so when you look outside the red zone and you look at the other third downs where it wasn't a relatively obvious run situation like third and one or at the end of the game when the Lions are running out the clock, the Falcons were in their Ruby defense nine out of nine times that you would expect them to be. Now, what's going to be interesting is how often are the Falcons going to use this now that Troy Anderson's done for the year, right? Because again, traditional dime, you have one linebacker on the field, but the Falcons have two. And do the Falcons decide to keep doing this with now Kay Nellis and Nate Landman? Now, Nate Landman, we saw it last week against the Packers, and we saw it at the end of this game when he came in for the final snaps, I think like five snaps uh, for an injured Troy Anderson against the Lions, he's been an impact run defender. But while he hasn't been a liability in coverage, he's much less tested in that arena. And what was notable about the Ruby defense is that the three down linemen and the fourth rusher in that situation was pretty consistently Caden Ellis. And they were dropping Troy Anderson and rushing Caden Ellis. And this was something that we talked about in the offseason is why, you know, you valued Caden Ellis and why he could be an impactful pass rusher in these situations because he'd get a lot more pass rushing opportunities um, with Troy Anderson being more of the coverage guy. And do you still do that now that Nate Lamon's subbing in for Troy Anderson? Do you feel as comfortable with Nate Lamon doing the coverage things that Troy Anderson was able to do and still rushing Kane Ellis? Or do you still play the Ruby and have Nate Lamon rush and drop Kane Ellis because you feel more comfortable with him doing that? I don't know. So, you know, they unveiled this new look defense, um, you know, on, against the Lions, and maybe they immediately scrap it moving forward and like, well, I guess we'll just go back to traditional nickel or more traditional dime with only one linebacker. We'll sort of have to see, but that's going to be something we're going to keep an eye on. Really appreciate you guys for tuning in for another all 22 review uh, for the subtext subscribers. Uh, you guys will get an extended all 22 review and you'll probably get um, probably an, a more in-depth look into those first 18 plays. Um, in terms of what I saw and, and some of the the good from Desmond Ritter as well on that subtext. Um, and, you know, if you don't know what subtext is, it's basically a way that you guys can text me and you get updates from me. It's you can get one on one conversations and, and all that. But also, you know, part of the perks that we're going to give for those people that subscribe to subtext is you get an extended all 22 review uh, and you also get priority on, on your questions uh, on, you know, future mailbags and Q&A's and all that sort of stuff. So. If you want to sign up, just hit the link in the description below. It's $4.99 a month, but the beauty is you get the first 14 days free. And so if you just sign up just for the extended all 22 reviews, you know, you're basically getting those for like $1.25. Would you be willing to pay for, you know, 30 minutes, which is what has been the case the last two weeks of extra film breakdowns, uh, an exclusive for that? Would you pay $1.25 for 30 more minutes of film breakdowns? You know, and again, you're only, you only have to pay 
you know, get the first two weeks free. So you're, you're only really paying, you know, $2 for that, but I think it's worth it, but you know, you decide, hit the link in the description below. Of course, the link in the description below is also the link to the discord where you can submit questions. You can also email me at lockdownfalcons at mail.com. And you know, when I'm on Twitter, you can hit me up at lockdownfalcons there as well. So that is going to do it for us here, guys. Tomorrow, we will be back with a uh, crossover Thursday talking with Locked On Jaguars host Tony Wiggins um, to, uh, you know, break down this London matchup and hopefully uh, Calvin Ridley won't wreck us. So that's the hope. That's the dream. Hopefully the offensive line is going to step up. The quarterback's going to step up. It's, it, you know, to me, the thing I'm going to be looking forward to, I can already tell you sort of, you know, how do the Falcons respond to the adversity they face against the Lions? They got punched in the mouth, as Drake London said. Are they going to be punching back or are they going to lay down? So that's going to be the big topic uh, this weekend. So we'll find out. We'll break it down on tomorrow's episode. Continue to check out Lockdown Falcons as your first listen. Um, and of course, for your second listen, check out the Lockdown NFL podcast. It's all part of Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.